what I wanted to ask you was that how is it that bulk of this uh, history, Maratha history, which is so critical to Indian history, especially in the 18th century, just before the uprising and all of that that's taken center stage, how is it that all of this has gone missing from the mainstream curriculum that we have for students? Actually, that you must ask the people who write the textbooks. Because we inherited in nineteen forty seven textbooks written by the British. When I was in standard sixth, I remember my textbook started with Arcot. So we were still reading English history at that time, or what the English wanted to teach us. And we, I was still learning about the paramount power and the subsidiary treaty and Lord Dalhousie and so on and so forth. So it's been a gradual process. The people who write history keep changing. And I suppose the pendulum swings in each direction. And we'll be keep so we'll have to be alert. And we'll have to find our own sources, and we'll not have. We cannot rely just on what is taught in textbooks. We'll have to read other books to know what actually happened. And I think that process has already begun. Yeah. 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 Why Madhura? You can say that about Bajira, you can say that about Nana Saheb, anybody for that matter. Because whenever there is change and there is transition, there is always something, somebody else trying to disturb or take advantage of it. So, Madhura is often called the greatest Peshwa, uh, with uh, definitely with some justification. But uh, this is a game which can be played, you know, ad infinitum. So, if who would have won the Battle of Panipat, what would have happened? So, I don't think we can, you know, really come up with anything concrete with this kind of a discussion. Uh, I have uh, read about a letter uh, sent by some Pare, uh, some general uh, about Nana and Mahaji. There was some in, uh, fighting going on between. Nana Not Nana Sahib Peshwa, it was Nana Fadnis and Mahaji. There was no fight, it was a conflict of interest. See, Nana Fadnis was trying to protect the interest of the uh, growing Peshwa, who was an infant when he became the Peshwa. And he felt that the primacy of the Peshwa must be maintained. While Mahaji had his own uh, ambitions. And he wanted to be the representative of the Peshwa and practically control the foreign policy and the military policy of the Maratha Empire. I don't blame either of them. They had their own ambitions and their own motivations. You cannot call somebody good or bad based on what they did because even today you find politicians doing the same thing. So it was these kind of tips happen when there are two strong people who are uh, trying to control and there is no single master. See the Chhatrapati's rule ended in 1749. The de jure Chhatrapati's rule. Then the Peshwa's end uh, rule ended practically in 1772-73 when Narendra was murdered. So it has been, and then the Fadnis was ruling. So you can see that the unless there is a central authority which can tell all the chiefs to behave in a certain manner to enforce obedience is very difficult. So then these kind of things come up when there is a strong uh, lack of a strong center. Textbooks not covering a lot of things in our way they should. So, if we want to know more about this 1788 to 1803 uh, Maratha rule in Delhi, what are the primary sources that we should be looking at? I would strongly recommend you buy Yadunath Sarkar's four volumes on the fall of the Mughal Empire. Though it is unfortunately badly named, it is not the fall of the Mughal Empire, it is the rise of the Maratha Empire. But it's that, that's the place where you'll get most of the details because he is referred to Persian sources, Marathi sources, both. Today, Marathi documents, about four crore documents are lying in Pune alone, which are not read. And there are thousands more documents which are not read by people who are writing history in English because they are written in Marathi. And today, if you want to write the history of any region of India in the 18th century, 
every region has been touched by the marathas if you don't get the maratha point of view you cannot write a true balanced history like there is a lot of talk about this raid on shringeri by the maratha troops and i wrote an article sometime back in one of the magazines who asked me to write for it the letters very clearly say what what actually happened but unfortunately the letters are not even the book which i am referring to was last published 100 years back and there's no reprint those books are available in very very few libraries again those letters there about 8000 letters just in one patwarzan daftar who was just one of the second grade sardars probably if you consider shindes and holkars the chief sardars whose daftar was written down 8000 9000 letters and that is throwing up so many new facts so the whole holkar there are 25000 letters of holkar's diwan lying in pune which are not read deccan college got another 4 lakh documents the bombay archives are the largest of all which are not read we have just got news that delhi archives are being digitized now but the government's priority for digitizing these archives is very low in future if historians want to research it they have nothing left if you go to pune archives you found they are tied in bundles of cloth and in any order you want to find some document it's and people who are going and searching these documents are lawyers who want to find old watans ki this land was given to my ancestor they are the only people who are accessing these documents there so it's complete mess of how the archives are being maintained the lowliest most un- unwanted ias officer has posted to look after them there are no funds to allot the preservation is very poorly done there is no air conditioning so that paper is just remaining there because it is chemical and acid free that's all how many years more it will remain on, nobody knows what were the relations between yashoda bhosle and sikh rulers actually that's a different subject altogether it comes in 19th century Yashwantra Holkar, there's a nice book on him called The Golden Rogue. So he's got two parts of his personality. He was the man who precipitated the fall of the Peshwa in 1802 by attacking Pune, and because of which the Treaty of Basin was signed and the subsidiary treaty was enforced on the Peshwa. When the Shindes fought with the English in 1803, had he joined forces with them, probably the English would not have won. But he didn't. He stayed aloof. Two years later, he felt that now I must fight the English and fought separately and lost. And then he went from pillar to post looking for help from various uh, uh, powers in uh, in the north, which were never enough because the back of the powers had been broken by then. Then and he had he was basically a cavalry based uh, ruler ruler a fight. Uh, so it was difficult to fight a, a disciplined force which the English had by that time by just a cavalry born force using guerrilla tactics. So it was a, and in the end, I think he, he, he was, he had some. Vilak also demanded for Swaraj, and Sivaji also demanded for Swaraj. Then what's the difference and similarity between the Vilak and Sivaji's demand for Swaraj? Because Vilak was demanding for Swaraj for the people, but Sivaji was only limited to his own benefits or his own. No, basically, it's a question of demanding for his people, not for himself, but for his people. Even Sivaji was demanding for the people who were oppressed at that time by the Mughals and by the Bijapur and these powers. So it is not that it's just that at that time communications were such that your vision, Shivaji said that I want a Deccan for the Deccanese in the 17th century. That's what he said that nobody outside the Deccan must interfere with the Deccan. Hundred years later, when Sadashiva Rao Bhau went to fight in Panipat, he said India for Indians. I don't want anybody outsider to determine the fate of India. So it's a question of your horizons keep expanding as your communications improve as you start going to far, further places. So it was, and the, and in case of Tilak, it was an enlightened view because by that time, you know, uh, 
it was a he was an educated man he was a barrister and he understood what was actually wrong what was happening how india was being exploited at that stage and there was no freedom of course so similar circumstances were prevailing was you must understand that shivaji's term was coterminous with that of aurangzeb and there was a definite in especially in maharashtra for 26 years and even before that all the his armies that were coming there was harassment of the people over there because if you see the mughal empire the spread of the mughal empire till the last two decades of the 17th century the mughals were still at ahmednagar they had not come south of that it was only after that that they spread it south of ahmednagar came to pune came to bijapur came to golconda and all that so that entire spread which took place was in the years when aurangzeb was here and even during shivaji's time the operation by the adil shahi troops and by the mughals pune was sandwiched between these two and that is where they were being attacked so he had an independent mind and he was he, he looked he could look upon things in a different way he didn't have that feudal spirit that i am only concerned about ki meri rozi roti ho jaye bas that's about all so that was a view point which he he not only thought about it but he executed it there were many rebellions that time marathas was not the only one the bundelas rebelled the jats rebelled the six rebelled so they all formed their states eventually at some point in time because the marathas which spread on a nationwide basis this is a excellent thesis by one of the authors which i read i think mani will also have read him called randolph cooper who is anybody who has taken the south asian military economy with them actually prevailed in the end of the 18th century because the soldiers at that time did not have a concept ki i am fighting for the nation or if i fight for the english i am going to fight for a person who is going to take away the independence of this nation that concept had not yet arrived he was looking at the place where he will get the best job the best security the best pensions and if the marathas offered it he went there if the english offered it he went there and in 1803 the english offered a better financial security and all the leaders of shindia's army were europeans they were french so they they changed sides and they went towards the english so there are lot of factors here it's not just nationalism which can carry you through you have to even think of other things which are more practical So what happened after that? Did they, did they Actually, in 1756, Ali Wardi Khan, who was Subedar of Bengal, died. In 1756, Raghuji Bosle, who was the chief of Nagpur, who was a dynamic chap, he died, and his sons started fighting with each other who will be the successor to him, which had to be approved by the Chhatrapati. The Chhatrapati was no more; it was the Peshwa who was ruling at that time. This fight between the two went on for the next ten years. That's why the Bosles were not present at even Panipat; they were fighting with each other. and naturally bengal was neglected at that time but you will be surprised because the alliance between the english and the marathas we wonder why did the marathas not stop the english from winning the battle of plassey you will be surprised that the marathas were opposed to alivardi khan because raguji was fighting with him right so when the english were kicked out of calcutta and clive went back to claim calcutta there was a letter written by the maratha peshwa to clive that if you want i will send my army there to help you So, 
Actually, what has happened is that Ghashiram Kotwal, even in Tendulkar's own words, is historical fiction. He doesn't say it is history. I'll give you a link where he's got an interview where he says that Ghashiram Kotwal is historical fiction. There is no Lalita Gauri in existence. Okay, there's no daughter of Ghashiram named Lalita Gauri who was going to Nana Fadnavis and who was behaving in all his debaucherous behavior. Nana Fadnavis was desperate to have a son who will succeed him, and he married one. He married the next girl when the previous wife died. It was not that he was he was keeping a harem of sorts to have a son, but because he was a very powerful man at that time, and people have a tendency to ridicule. I mean, there are, I will not. I would need not educate you on the politics of Maharashtra and the caste-based thing of all these things that are going on. So that you know very well. So I don't want to repeat that over it. Actually, they happened in quick succession because uh, Daya Bahadur and uh, Girdar Bahadur had expecting that they'll come from one side, while actually the Marathas came from the other side, and they turned to return towards Ujjain when suddenly they were confronted by the Marathas. So they were not really prepared for the battle, and in that flurry of uh, whatever happened, the these two people were killed. But whether it is a one battle or two closely fought battles, has different authorities are claiming different uh, versions of that. But what I have seen, I think there was only one battle. Where I think Malcolm probably describes two battles in his Central Asia. But from what letters have come, I think there was only one battle. I don't think the Marathas built any palace which remains today. Their architecture is restricted to the forts. Shanivarvada is just a wall. The inner inner buildings were made of wood largely. And in the 1827 or 28, when the English were ruling over Pune, uh, it caught fire and they allowed it to burn for a week. The purpose of the English was that all the places of prestige which were there in Pune were destroyed. So Shanwarwada was made into a one. The buildings inside were made into a lunatic asylum. Can you imagine the impact it will have on the people of the city when the place where the Peshwa was staying has been converted to a lunatic asylum? So this was done with the purposeful. Purpose that they lose respect for that place. The place in front of Shanwarabada, where all these processions took place, was converted into vegetable market. Even then, the Hanuman Mandir there is called Batata Maruti. Batata means potatoes. So that is what they did. They they destroyed, bombarded all the forts around Pune because they never wanted anybody to take uh, go on those forts and become a source of resistance to them in future. So they demol demolished everything. नॉर्थ So he parcelled them out and put them on a job, and what they won became theirs, and they gave a certain amount of money as pension to the king. 
So the south in Shivaji's time was different from the south in Shahu's time. Shahu was a pensioner of his chiefs. He was getting a pension from them, from the income which they earn. So this being the nature, it did two things. One is it spread the empire very rapidly because everybody was going out to get something for himself, private enterprise. But the center became weak. Thanks. Thank you very much.